This is the GGC Life Podcast. This morning I was driving and I've been preparing all week what to speak on. And um, this morning, uh, Ethan, because he does a bit of the graphic designing and puts things up, and he said to me, um, Dad, what's, your me- what's the title of your message? And a lot of times I don't have a title. I, I mean, I, I do have titles a lot of times. Sometimes we've got series and that. And, and it made me think, hey, what is the title of my message? You know, like, I know what I'm going to say. I know the heart. I know what I feel God wants to do. I know, I know what the Holy Spirit wants to break off us. I know what the, what the Holy Spirit wants to bring us into. Um, and I could see that in the spirit realm. And then I just felt this come to me and just said, contend. Contending for the glory. Contending for the glory. Like what, what, what is all this about? It's about contending for the glory. And, and that's the glory of God has transformed these people. You know, at the beginning of the year, we talked about arise, shine, for the light has come, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The glory is God's presence in us. It's the tangible presence of God in and through us and what He does in and through us. And that is manifested and expressed in so many different ways through our lives, every one of us individually. But it really is, we're talking about contending for God's glory. Even, I want to speak a little bit about where we're at with the, with, with the contending of fighting for this building. But why are we, why are we buying this building? Why did, why did God lead us here to buy this building? It's, it is to contend for the glory of God. We have to understand it's, it, it's translation, if that's the right word. It's interpretation. Although this is a physical building, but it's going to enable us to disciple the city, disciple our nation, and it's going to enable us to preach the gospel and, and so on. And, and a lot of times we need to, you know, I'm going to try to, try to open up my heart the best way I can because when you see my walk of faith, if you see how I fight the enemy, when you see how, how the Lord has led us as elders and as family, my wife, myself, our children as elders, how do we fight this walk of faith? How do we fight? I'm, I'm trying to let you into my heart how we fight so that you see how you're supposed to walk the walk of faith. And that's why I keep referring to, to all of us, whether it's through relationship or one conversation or having a coffee or lunch or whatever, we always remind ourselves, I remind myself, I remind each other, God spoke to us. Faith doesn't work without God speaking. God spoke to us to come here. God spoke clearly. We, we know for sure the Lord led us. And anytime I'm in a place of what if it doesn't, what happens? What if, Lord, what about this, God? What about this? Anytime I remind myself, I remind the Lord, Lord, it's your voice we followed. It's you that told us to do this. You directed us. You guided us. We had prophetic words, all these things. I was beyond the shadow of a doubt that this is where we needed to go. And so I remind myself, I stir myself up, but I always remember and remind the Lord of His promises, that He led us, He guided us, because you can't walk by faith without hearing His voice. And so, the, you know, just a quick overview of some of the amazing, amazing miracles and provision even now. So that's another thing I do. I remind myself of all the miracles. Lord, it's taken miracle after miracle after miracle to get us here. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for your hand. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. your presence, your will, your provision, your miracles, your, your sacrifice for your people, or people sacrifice because of God's love in us. And so, you know, we, we, two years ago, what's today? It's July, isn't it? Uh, yeah, first week of July. It's actually the week we signed, two weeks ago. If you remember, in the last week of June is when we lost the Five Dog Building. The last week was the last Sunday. But we knew we were going to lose it about 10 months before because it was, it was 2020, late 2020, when it was clear the Metro, 
the underground metro that was going under five dock missed our building but hit Anytime Fitness across the road. What's that got to do with our building? Well, <laughs> the government of Australia, bless them, gave um, the Anytime Fitness $800,000 to relocate. Just, to, just here, here's 800000 Because we're going to take your position as a lease, we'll give you 800000 to relocate your business. So they had 800000 to relocate their business and they, they, we were paying $120,000 for that venue in Five Dog, and the, the, the previous owners wanted way more, and they paid at least 240, 250, who knows how much, maybe more. But they were able to re- re- take that building. We knew, we felt, no, it was, our, it was almost God's way of moving us out. We would not have looked. We would not have searched. We were forced to look. We were, it's almost like, well, we can't stay here. We're not going to pay $250,000 for a lease and a small building, and we can't own the building. So from that, we looked. Just remember, from that, we looked. And from looking... Um, I think it was about a week or two later, I get a phone call from a Christian friend of mine who used to come to our church, who happens to be a Christian, um, happens to be a real estate agent, whose name is Christian, by the way. (laughs) Anyway, he's a real estate agent. He calls me. I never forget. I still remember where I was in front of my house. Take the phone call and he talks to me about, Lee, I've got a building that um, is up for sale. Um, it might be perfect. He knew what we were looking for. We were looking for years, for a few years, to buy something. And he goes, and, and this might be perfect. Not only can we get into this building, it wasn't, it was also the fact that it was up for sale. Because we could buy the building, not just rent the building. It's not use coming into a building like this, renovate it, and then again, it's not going to, we, we, we as a church won't own asset, we won't own property, we won't own our own building. Where again, for the next generation, we're setting them up. So I know in God's will, in my heart, I remember I've said it to many people, before I go to heaven, before I go to my reward, and before I die, I felt I have to fight this battle. I have to fight this Goliath, so to speak. I'd even say Goliath sometimes. Um, that, that, what, what was that? To, buy, to have a home where Jesus could call home where we own the property. Because whether you understand it or not, when you're leasing, you're always a servant to the lender. You're at their mercy. They just can, you, any, any moment, we can always have to, have to leave. We've been in most buildings we've been in, either RSL clubs, function centers, or had a demolition clause to it. A six-month demolition clause, because everyone wants to develop in Sydney. You know? And so we always had to just get up and leave if we needed to, or had to. We were forced to find this place. I mean, not forced. We found it by God's grace because that person happened to have this on his listing. The guy who rang me, who knew, knew us, knew of our need, knew, knew of us. And, and this person that owns this building wanted to sell, which is great. But it took us a good 10 months to negotiate. It was up and down. He didn't want to sell. He did want to sell. Didn't want to sell. Shouldn't sell. Almost sold to other people. People gave good offers, $9 million. It didn't, it didn't go through. Um, just story after story. And, and at that point, when we, we hit May of 2021, we had to leave late June. We needed $550,000 to even have a deposit for $1.1 million. $550,000 for three months is, takes a lot to, to trust that. Um, so free, was it 550000 in three months? And I thought, Lord, are you, wow, is it, are we going to be able to do that? In my mind, are the people going to respond? Are the people going to respond in faith? Will they be generous? Would we be generous? Are we going to do that? 550,000. Three months, 500, actually about 650,000 came in. That was one of the, that's an amazing miracle. 
That's a phenomenal miracle. And because we, we had money saved for the number of years, four or five years previous to that, we had already 650. So we were able to give a call option deposit of $1.2 million that we signed. This is now, we lost the building in June, the last Sunday of June. We packed everything up. We were trying to marry this. We couldn't connect it. We didn't get this building in time. So we had to put all our stuff in storage. Then as soon as we closed on June, the, t- the last Sunday, it got um, locked down. We, every, the, all of Sydney got locked down. I thought, wow. In a sense, it's good because we didn't have a building anyway. Like we, we lost our building. It was for us because we'd have to find a, a function center, set it up. It costs a lot of money to do that. You'd be surprised how much money it costs to lease just on a Sunday, for one Sunday. Um, and, and then all the work to set up, set down. And we... That was literally locked down. Then the week after, we were able to sign this. I had to leave Blacktown break. I felt like I was breaking the law, but I was, and I was allowed to do it. But I wasn't allowed to go five kilometer radius. But I feel like a criminal almost. But but I wasn't. Um, I, I, I'm just listening to God, and, and, and it's okay. You could you can buy a building at that point. So I left. I went to the solicitor's office, which is around here, and I, we signed and emptied our bank accounts and put 1.2 million dollars for a call option, which we believed very clearly it was a deposit and a call option. And then in that two year period, most of you know the story. Within the first Year. That's a miracle of itself, the renovation of building of this whole place. We can go on and on and, you know, um, CJ, Tatiana come to us right at the right time and he's a developer and, and, he's a, and she's an architect. So they both volunteered their services and oversaw the work and we sacrificially gave, again, over $600,000 towards renovating this building. And that's actually cheap. When I tell people, they go, what? You renovated everything with that amount of money? You do that with a house. And, and by God's grace, we renovated. That's, amazing. that's, a, that's another amazing miracle. Amazing milestone, amazing miracle. We've got to remind ourselves all the miracles along the way that God's been with us. And the course of the two years, um, we still had $450,000 in our bank account, even though we renovated everything. And that brought us to early May. So early May, we, um, just reminding us all the miracles. There's heaps of miracles. I can just... This, there's, there's others I haven't told you because God had to break through even to sell the property. And, and I, I, won't, I, I won't tell you the miracle there, but it was a powerful miracle um, um, on, on, in the owner's heart. But where are we? Last early May, which is only two months ago, we had $450,000. And now after the, the response of all our generosity, our church has been so extremely generous. And I'm moved. I'm moved deeply because of people's response, people's faith, people's sacrificially giving. And, and it, I know it means different things to each one of us, the way we've given. I know that God sees your heart. And I know, I know that I know that I know that God will take care of us because he's, he's the one that took the widow, the, the two mites of the widow. Jesus did. You know, Jesus goes, no, 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 take that, keep those two mites. You better not give that to the temple. He allowed her to give it. You know what I mean? Elijah's the one that asked the, that widow, give me that last meal first. I know it's your last meal and you and your two sons were going to, your son was going to die, eat it and die. That's what she said, is give it to me first. And so I, I believe the Bible. I know God's provision. I know he takes care of us and so on. So I know God will take care of us 100%. We pray that all the time. And so in two months' time, we are at the moment uh, in approximate about $1.35 million has come in. That is, that is coming. That's phenomenal. You can give yourselves a hand clap and a rejoice and praise. But that's pretty amazing. That's, that's absolutely 
um, miraculous, really, with the size church. You've got to think of the size church of where we're at. Um, we're not, when, when other people ask and they tell us, and we tell them the story, they just they respond with disbelief. What? And, and the generosity of, of us as people. And it's phenomenal. And in the, in the middle of that, it's amazing. And now we're, I just want to show you that we're four and a half weeks away from settlement. To quickly explain too that without going into the big, bigger details, um, the solic- our solicitors told us, okay, you need to make the exchange, which was two weeks ago. And to make an exchange of a contract, you have to put $1.1 million down as a deposit. I said, no, no, you must be mistaken. We gave the deposit at $1.2 million. The call option was the deposit. We called it the deposit. We understood it as a deposit. But the solicitors, I think, could have made a better interpretation of the negotiation, the spirit of the negotiation of the deal. So I spoke to a real estate agent. Yeah, he goes, yeah, I, I believe that was the deposit. The $1.2 million was the deposit back two years ago. I spoke to the owner. He understood it that way too. He goes, yeah, well, that's what I thought. I thought that was a deposit. But cut a long story short, you know, his solicitor saying to him, if they haven't got the money now after two years to give a 1.1, maybe they're not ready. And so he was putting doubt in his mind and he instructs his solicitor to our solicitor, no, no, we need the 1.1 million, um, which was two weeks ago. So we signed and we gave $1.1 million to, for that deposit. So we've given $2.3 million that's already as a deposit of this building. We've, we've invested six to $700,000 of renovation. It's around about the amount. Um, and that's, that's $3 million. It's pretty amazing. And so we know, now, and this is all because God spoke. This is all because God has led us. It's all because God's directed us. We've, obviously, I'm being really honest and vulnerable. We've never done this before. It's not like, oh, you've done that with five other you know, projects or five other churches. Never. This is our first time we've ever walked into something this great, this magnitude, this um, faith journey. And it has been a two-year faith journey. And I've always said to us as a church, it feels like the Red Sea when Moses opened up the Red Sea. I mean, that was even before we ever committed to this building. I remember in one of my holidays at uh, Coffs Harbour, praying about, should we do this, Lord? Shouldn't we? And all this. And, uh, and the Lord reminded me, Moses, look at the story of Moses. He took three, well, one, one plus one plus over a million people, but with children, it could have been anywhere between two or three million people out of Egypt and the journey out of Egypt. And they got into the, the two gorges, went through and the Red Sea was right in front of them and the enemies behind them. I mean, it looked bad. It, it got so bad because sometimes things get worse before they get better. Sometimes it looks like the enemy is closing in. And, and, and everyone's saying to Moses, what, weren't there any graves in Egypt? Why are you letting us out here? Because you didn't have graves over there. You want to kill us all here? They got negative. Because they, they, the they can see the Egyptian army coming. They can see the smoke going up in the horizon. They can see they're, they're closing in on us. But in God's glory, the, the glory cloud that was directing them, during the day it was cloud. During the night it was a fire. That moved behind them. And protecting them from the enemy. God knew he was never going to let the enemy come close. And then God, as Moses is, Lord, he cries out to God. And God says, why are you crying out to me? Stretch forth your hand. And stretch forth your rod. And speak to the Red Sea. And so he does, as you know. And the, the Red Sea opened up. It took about, I think overnight, it, the, the wind came and broke up the water. And the water went up as a heap. So it's supernatural. It's not just dried up and they can walk on splashy water. <laughs> and then when the army came in, they got drowned with, you know, five centimetre water. No, 
it walked, it went up to a wall. But when you're walking through, in a minute it takes you, I don't know, half a day, one day. How long is it going to take for a million people to get through or two million people to get through? As they're walking through, you'd be going, Lord, keep the walls up. Oh, God, keep the walls up. You've got your little children. You've got your, your grandmother. You've got everybody. You've got your stuff. Just keep the walls up. This is a miracle. This is amazing. And that's how I felt for two years. Lord, this is amazing. This is amazing. This is phenomenal. This is God. This is grace. This is God's provision. Keep the walls up, Lord. And I suppose you've got to realize, Lord, if you're doing the miracle, then you're going to keep the walls up. You know, that, I'm just being honest how I've been feeling for two, two years. So we've been believing, trusting God for two years. And... Uh, and um, then the Lord one time, one time said to me, go check what happened at the end when they got through. When they got through, I looked and in the Bible, read the scriptures, God told Moses to speak to the waters and to close. Wow. What authority that God gives mankind. Didn't just happen automatically. God didn't just do it. God says, Moses, once you get all the people through, then you speak to the Red Sea. Wow. That's pretty amazing. And I've always known what we, that's hard to explain this, and I'm just trying to help us understand what I focus my faith on in the sense if I believe we're going to barely make it, then we'll just barely make it. If I put my faith out that God, you're a God of abundance and we're going to make it with great abundance and more than enough, then that's what we'll receive. It really, really is important. How I'm the lead guy here and with the eldership team, if we as an eldership team sort of just, let's just, Let's just have the faith just to barely make it. Let's have the faith to make the deal, close the deal, and then when in the next two years we scrape through and we just pay the repayments and it's stretchy in the next two years. No, if we're believing for that, guess what? We'll get what you believe. What you see, you end up getting what you see. So it's very important we're going to stay in faith. And I'm, this whole message is about, guys, we've put the pedal on the, we put the, the foot on the pedal of faith. Like, keep it on. I'm not talking to myself, I'm talking to all of us. Let's keep the, put, the pedal on the faith. Sorry, put the foot, sorry. Put the foot on the pedal of faith. Don't take it off. It's not like, oh, God, great. We're almost there. We'll go by the acceleration now. We'll go by the momentum. We've got some good momentum. And let's just, let's just, ooh, momentum slows down. And we put the foot off and we uh, just get through. Well, that's what we're believing for as a people. Is that how we see our God? Is that how we see our Father? Do we really believe he's Jehovah Jireh? And I thought about the Red Sea. Please hear my heart. I thought about it. I said, Lord, it's actually very interesting that you delivered them that way. Because if you didn't take them through the Red Sea and they went into the promised land another way, or if they hanged around, if the, if the armies of Egypt, if Pharaoh didn't go after them, he would have got after them a few days later. If you didn't go after, if the Red Sea didn't happen, it may be a month later, because we know Pharaoh kept changing his mind 10 times yeah. with all the plagues. And eventually he would have said, no way, this is not good. We don't have our slaves anymore. They were working. They were building Egypt. We were so prosperous. They were doing all our slave labor. We go get them. Let's go get them. They would have gone after them at some point. God wanted a complete victory, a complete cutoff from the, from the enemy. Because when they got through, it wasn't just the armies of Egypt. Pharaoh was there too. And the armies of Egypt, the, the elite armies of Egypt, the greatest chariots. And they were all completely destroyed. There was no chance once they got through that Pharaoh, I mean Pharaoh's dead. Pharaoh can't change his mind when he's dead. I'm just trying to help us see it's complete victory. God actually wants us to see complete victory. We've got to believe for that. And so there's so, so many amazing miracles that we have seen, you know, that God has done. It's phenomenal. Um, God showed me uh, Nehemiah. He reminded me about Nehemiah, the story of Nehemiah, because Nehemiah, 
was moved because, what happened to the lights? Just went dark? You can turn the light on a bit. That was the screen. Now I can't see you here. So. <laughs> but the, 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 um, Nehemiah, he finds that, I mean, he just, he's, he's, he asks about the welfare of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem was lying in ruins, no walls, and no, all the gates were burnt, so they're completely exposed to the enemy, and the enemy's attacked. But you've got to remember, please understand, the, the, the city of Jerusalem has been like that for 70 years. That's a long time since Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the city. But Nehemiah has moved as a leader. He's moved. The Bible says he, was, he, was, he started feeling a burden for his people and he was sad in the presence of the king. He never was sad in the presence of the king before, ever. Even the king responded and says, hey, how come you're sad? You've never been sad in my presence. He says, oh, it's because my people, they're, 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 they're under reproach. They're, you know, they're, they're, the, the, the city walls are completely destroyed and my people are, are, are in reproach. So he felt for his people, but he could see something that no one else saw anymore. Everyone else got used to the fact that the city of Jerusalem is destroyed, that it's under reproach. Please hear what I'm saying, because this is what a leader's job should be. This is what our leadership job should be. We see the need. We see what's possible. We see that Jerusalem could be rebuilt, could have safety, could have walls, could have the gates, and people could live in there with security and safety from the enemy. But right now, the city of God, the, the, the new Jerusalem is in ruins and, and there's, there's reproach, there's shame, there's fear. Everyone's in fear. Everyone's afraid of the enemy. But Nehemiah had a heart yes. to see it restored and faith to see it restored. Believed it could be done. 70 years it's been ruins. But Nehemiah gathers and rallies and, he, and, and it's interesting how he does it. But the book of Nehemiah is phenomenal if you have a read of it and have a read the first four or five chapters really explains the story quite well. But at one point he goes and just, he sort of scours the land and looks for the strategy and just starts thinking, okay, this needs to be done. The walls are destroyed here badly. And we're talking about walls of 12 meters high. That's how much they restored them. They're completely destroyed, but they built it 12, 12, 12 foot high. Imagine 12 meters and two and a half meters wide. We're talking about a wall that can keep the enemy out. But they also had to build the gates to keep them safe. And guess the only way for that to happen is to get everyone on board. He had to motivate everyone. There's one point, if you read it in, in Acts, I'm sorry, Nehemiah 12, he says, um, verse 15, chapter 2, sorry, Nehemiah 2, verse 15. So I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall. Then I entered the valley gate again and returned. He talked about his expecting everything, all the different gates and all the walls um, to pick it up the end part. Verse 16, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had they as yet told the Jews. As yet, I didn't tell the Jews that were living there. I haven't talked to the, the people, which would have been thousands of them. I didn't talk to the priests. I didn't talk to the nobles. I never talked to the officials. We're talking about all the leaders of the city. All the rest who did the work. I haven't spoken to them there up until this point. Then I said to them, this is when he spoke to them, to those leaders and to the Jews and to the priests. You see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach among the people. Let us rebuild. He, he had to ask him. There's something powerful about asking. Nehemiah asked everybody else, can we do this job? Can we get on board? Can we all do this? And everyone responded. I mean, it says here, 
I, I told them how the hand of my God had been favourable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. So the king himself sent him and gave him favour and, and so on. But he, had to, he reminded them of the favour of God on his life. And that's why I'm reminding us of all the miracles, all the hand of God. How he got here is God's hand, God's miracles, God's provision. Then they said, let us arise and build. They all responded, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the work, uh, to the good work. But when Shambalat and Horonite and, the, and, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, the official and Geshem, the Arab heard it. They mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? What are you trying to do trying to rebuild Jerusalem? Are you rebelling? You want, to, you want to create your own movement? You want to become king? They actually accused him of all these things. And there was an enemy that kept rising up against him. He didn't like what, what the enemy didn't like what Nehemiah had faith for. And I'm, I'm talking about the city of Jerusalem as a physical city and obviously the walls that speak of protection. The Bible does say the walls of salvation is found in Isaiah 61 and the gates of praise. So you want to symbolically change it into our context. Walls of salvation. What are we doing this for? So we can, just, we can build up the walls of salvation. And we can have the gates of praise. And this can be a city of God, a spiritual city of God, where people can join and get saved and get set free and get delivered. Is it the physical building? No, it's the people that we're fighting for. Because when we, whenever we have to leave this building, we'll sell it for whatever price. And guess what? We'll go somewhere else. But we, at least we're in a position that we can, we'll buy that building, we'll buy that land, and we'll have church there. Because you can have church anywhere. You can have church in the park. But you try having church in the park on a 40 degree day. Try to have church in the park when it's pouring down raining. It's not practical. And the many, many things like that. When we can just, we'll be the head, not the tail. We're not, we're not servants to the lender. We're not, at any moment, you just lose your building, you have to pack up and go somewhere else. Packing up, setting down. Packing up, There's a lot of work involved with that. And if you really get a revelation of the king, you realise we're the ones who should own everything. The Bible actually teaches us that. Old Testament covenant says we should be the lenders, not the borrowers. How much more? In the New Testament. We're kings and priests unto our God. This is what it means to rule, to reign, to take authority. For us, we become the ones that always just barely making it. Anyway, what are we fighting for? The glory of God. To establish a city of God. It's a spiritual city. But at the moment, for that fight, it is converted, translated, if I can say it that way, to buy this physical building. It is. It is a reflection. Even our offerings and our sacrifice to give, it's a reflection of how much we believe in the vision of God, the purposes of God, seeing people saved, seeing people set free. There is a, there is a reflection to that. And obviously, and I put myself in your shoes, I put myself in, if I was a believer in this church, it's an issue of trust. 100% this trust. So I fully understand. So please, I'm not speaking, first of all, I'm not speaking to, I want us, I'm speaking to us as a whole, as a family, let's do this together. Let's fight together. Let's, let's continue putting faith on the pedal together right to the end and even when we're through. Because it's not like, oh, we made it. Okay, let's just stop fighting. No. In this instance, when you read here, you read the whole chapter 3, it says, and next to him they built. And next to him that family built. And next to him they built that part of the wall. And next to him the priest built the sheep gate because the sheep gate had to do with the offerings that the priest had. To, it was connected to them. 
and so on and so on. He goes, and the, next to them, they built. And next to them, and unto them, and, un, add to, and, and to them, and unto them. It was next to them, they built. It went on for a whole chapter. It must have said it 40, 50 times. It's given us a picture. They, repair, they rebuilt, they repaired, they rebuilt, they repaired. And, and as they did that, the enemy got angry. The more they restored, spiritually speaking. Look in ver- chapter 4, verse 6. So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. Half its height. They still got to go another six meters probably, right? But when that happened, now when Shambhalat, Tobiah, and Arab, uh, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashadites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on, and that the breaches began to be closed. They were very angry. All of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause disturbance in it. The enemy gets angry because, oh no, they're getting together. They're working it together. They're, they're, getting, they're working as one. They're fighting this battle together. The enemy gets upset to disturb. And I can't explain it any other way, but there has been the enemy trying to disturb. Of course he's going to try. Of course he's threatened by it. Why wouldn't he? Just have to hear the prophetic words that have ever been spoken over your lives and the GGC church. That would make the enemy be threatened. True? Let's be real. Because he's going to be threatened. I don't want GGC to get through this in an abundant way. I've got to do whatever I can. Do what I can to scatter them. Do what I can to, to, to get them off. And so when you pick it up from verse 11 of chapter 4, our enemies said they will not know or see until we come among and kill them and put a stop to them. This is a serious threat. They want to fight them. They want to kill them while they're working. When the Jews lived near them and came and told us 10 times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. Then I stationed men. This is Nehemiah's response. Please hear this. Nehemiah was a brilliant man of God, a brilliant servant and a brilliant strategic leader. Then the, I, sta- I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places. And I stationed the people in families with their swords, with their spears and with their bows. When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives, fight for your houses. Why are we fighting? For our family. For your sons and your daughters, for your the next generation that comes after you, like or else we oh no, just fighting for me, just just me. I'm doing this for me. No, we're fighting for our families. You got to see what we're fighting for. What you just saw here, all these testimonies. I'm in tears because the Lord, there's way more out there that need that the gospel of Jesus. How many people need the love of Jesus, the forgiveness of Christ? The good news that you can be forgiven for free. That's what we're fighting for. And he says, at the exposed places, that means where the walls weren't fully restored yet and the enemy could get through, he'd put people there with swords. At one point he said, go sleep there. He says, go into the city and sleep there at night time, guard it at night, work by day. And so they were serious about guarding it. And I, I think, what are the exposed places? What are the vulnerable places where the enemy tries to get in? Please hear my heart, disappointment expectation that you had and it didn't get met by us as a church or us as leaders. Mindsets, 
Well, I thought this was going to happen. It didn't happen. Just disappointment, discouragement, just little things to distract you. It, could be, it can be just distractions of the world. You get so busy at work, so busy at staff, other things, and you forget the purpose, the kingdom, why you're here for. You're here for the king. You're here for the kingdom. You're here for the purpose of the king. Please hear my heart. I'm trying to help us see. I see Nehemiah. He got him to work together. And it says, when the enemies heard that it was known to us that God, that, the, that God had frustrated their plan, then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. For that, from that day on, half of my servants carried the work while half of them held the spears, the shields, the bows and the breastplate. This is a team effort. And the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. Those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried the burdens took their load with one hand doing the work and the other hand holding a weapon. Can you picture that? I'm going I'm to build this, but I'm going to hold the weapon at the same time. I've got to keep this at my side just in case the enemy comes. This is like stance ready for war. This is stance ready to fight. Keep building, but keep fighting. Keep building, but keep fighting. They were like that. And at one point, half of them had swords, spears, and um, what do you call them? Shields and ready to fight, and the others were building. But at another point, he says, they all had, it says, as for the builders, each wore his sword girded at his side as he built, while the trumpet stood near me. So what was happening, I mean, very, very clear. Let me read it, because you, just so you can trust me, that I'm not just telling us my own story. I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are spread, separated on the wall far from one another. And whatever place you hear, the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, and God will fight for us. Basically, the wall is all around the whole city of Jerusalem. It's miles and miles and miles long. If I'm fixing this part of it, and it's low and it's exposed, and then someone really, really far away, they won't hear us if they get attacked. I can't hear them if they're getting attacked. So the trumpeter would be there. There'll be a person with a trumpet. It means rally over and fight with them to keep the enemy out from coming into the city. Can you see the togetherness, the fight of we're all in this together. Amen. It's, it's, it's that one purpose, that one, that's what the enemy hates. Because that's what the enemy was trying to attack them. And he said, we've got to do this, we've got to do this together. Keep the weapon. And all I'm saying is, where's the sword of the Spirit? Make sure it's in your mouth. How we do it now is a sword of the Spirit being on our mouth, full of faith, full of agreement. We believe this is possible. With man, it's not possible. With God, it's possible. It's faith. It's trusting. And I love, I love when I see the intercessors up there praying in the mornings. Some of you don't know, but there's a whole group of women and some men, should be way more men, please in my heart. We should have way more men up there. We see some, a lot of women, they're praying, interceding. What are they doing? They're warfaring. Praying in the Spirit, picking up in the Spirit, seeing in the Spirit, having faith in the Spirit, and then speaking it out, declaring it. And it helps carry, it helps bring it, it helps fight the fight. And, and, and that's just one little part. I mean, everything, the worship, we're all little, I just see us all together. And I, in that instant, imagine saying, look, I'll pray. Please hear my heart again. I'll pray. I'll pray, but I won't build. I'll pray, uh, you know, like... It's almost like, imagine if they all said, oh, we'll all pray, and no one puts the hand to building. And please, what I'm saying. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm, again, what I've, as a leader, I've wanted to communicate is give sacrificially to this cause what God puts on your heart. But, 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 do, but, but be obedient to what God puts on your heart. So I know there's a lot of people who have intentions. I've got a great intent. I, I want to, I want to, and then maybe you never acted on it. 
So I'm not talking of the ones already sacrificially given. You've already sacrificially given. But I'm saying just obey what God puts on your heart to give. And, and you'll be surprised what in our togetherness we could all do to get to where. I, I also believe our, the pedal of faith, putting on, you know, keep the, get your foot on the pedal of faith, is there's million dollar offerings out there. I really believe people have spoken, people have said, I, I, people have said to me, not now, but in a couple of years' time, they're going to sell a $1 million offering to this building. Two different people said that. I have faith. Okay, wow, that's God. That's God doing that. God's touching their hearts. And they're, and they're capable into the future to do that. So not just hoping. But all I'm saying is I believe there are, and I know people have prayed and intercessors have said, we feel there's a million-dollar offering. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying to us, believing together that someone could just sow $1 million. And we need that. We, we right now, at 1.7 million, we're believing God for that 1.7. That's the stage we're at, 1.7 million. We believe all that could come in. And, and, and then at the same time, my, fight, my faith is still fighting for, hey, 9 million can come in. All of it. Completely paid off. Wouldn't that be amazing? Instead of having you know, five years to pay it off or two years to pay it off or 10 years to pay it off, depends where our faith lands. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a big part of me that believes, oh Lord, in two years we could pay all of it off. There's a big part of me that says, but at the same time, we almost got a plan because we don't know. I don't know how God's going to work. Does that make sense? I don't know. Abraham obeyed God in sacrificing his son when he walked up that mountain. He did not know how the ram was coming up on the other side. And God stopped him from sacrificing his son. And and, then he saw the ram behind him actually stuck in a thicket, in a bush. And he grabbed that ram and that became the sacrifice. And he says, the Lord will provide on his mountain. So the Lord provides when you're in the right place, right time, right position. He was obeying God, He's, and, but he didn't know how it was going to happen. I mean, it's, it's, it's stumbling away from its owner and its herd and whatever, and it was climbing the mountain all on its own, and that was the sacrifice. So I, I say to myself, Lord, I know you've got the ram coming up on the other side of the mountain. I don't know how it's going to come. I don't know where. And a lot of times I remind myself, Leah, enjoy the journey. Enjoy the excitement of the adventure of you don't know how God's going to come through. Because I've learned this too. I'm learning this about this right now. If you don't learn to enjoy the journey... When you get to your little particular destinations, you won't enjoy the destination. It's true. And there's many destinations. You know, stay, like the journey is in the train. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the view. If you're in Paris and you're tra- training it from one city to another, enjoy the journey. Enjoy the view. Enjoy your food. Glass of vino. Enjoy it. But, and you get to a station, and that's your destination, and you might get out and experience the town. Enjoy that too. But enjoy everything. Because we're right now in the middle of the greatest miracle we've seen and we just can take for granted. We could, oh yeah, Jerusalem's laying in ruins. It's fine. Those people of God were okay with Jerusalem laying in ruins. And to a leader said, guys, we can see this happen. 52 days later, it was completely restored. And Nehemiah became the governor. He had the faith for it. He was feeding 150 people of his own servants and he goes, I'm a governor, but I've never taken the governor's portion of food. I've always taken care of 150 people. Like he was just talking about, I'm not taking you. I'm not extracting from you. Nehemiah was saying that. So we need to fight together because I, th- I really believe it's in our togetherness. We can see greatest miracle. 
And what's going to translate into? It's going to translate to the glory of God, the freedom, the liberty to preach the gospel, seeing people saved, sending sons and daughters to plant churches. Imagine the strength we would have to be able to set up a church plant and just empower them to, to, to succeed. A church plant, a site, evangelists, crusades out in other nations. We want to raise up men and women that will actually transform our city. It's the difference between just wanting to gather a crowd. We want to equip an army to go out and disciple the world. Big difference, isn't it? So I was going to try to finish on this, and I know I've run out of time. There was something powerful about asking. Something powerful. As a leader, I know it's my responsibility to ask, and, and I have been for the last two years, and that's my leadership responsibility. Absolutely fine with it. I, I, have, to, I have to be dead to it. Don't get me wrong. Even when we online, we've asked people, our families, our friends on, that are extension, if you've seen our videos, where if you want to give to this cause, this purpose of what we're doing here, I have absolutely okay with asking because I see us as one body. Jesus, I see us as one family. I see us as one kingdom. I see there's one Lord. So I have no problem with that. I still have to humble myself to ask though. Because it's easy. My, my flesh, my problem, oh, we would do this on our own. No, we've got to be dead to that. So there's something powerful about asking. You know, God told the children of Israel before they left Egypt, before you leave, go to your neighbour and ask him for your, their jewellery, <laughs> their gold, their silver and their clothing. You've got to remember the context. They just lost their firstborn son. And God said, asked. And they went and asked. And they said, yeah, get out of here. And they gave them the jewelry, the gold and everything. Because they were extracted by them anyway. The, the way God sees it is they were, they were forced to slave and work for them to get prosperous and rich. And they, 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 you know, they, treated, they ill-treated God's people for 400 years. But they took the gold and the silver because they asked. And many stories in the Bible the Bible says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. You have not because you ask not, James says. But when you do ask, you ask and miss because you ask according to your own lust and your own flesh. But he's basically saying, ask. Keep on asking. There's something powerful about asking. And what I'm asking us to do, just in your own relationship with God and your faith level, don't do it if you don't have faith to do it. Don't do it if you don't have a conviction to do it. But I believe that we could know people. You know, there are there are... I'm talking about even people that are not Christian, that are billionaires, that are millionaires. Some of, them work, some of us work for billionaires, millionaires. They're not Christian, but you'd be surprised how many people that don't know God have a heart to help people. And their great wealth, they want to give money away. We learned it yesterday with David Balestri. A lot of, lot of wealthy, wealthy people believe in giving away some of their wealth. They actually believe you should not absorb all your wealth or something will go wrong. And so there are th- what they call philanthropists. Thank you. And they want to give to a good cause. But if you believe it, this is a good cause, you can write a letter, you can write an email, you can write a message on Facebook, send an email, I mean the video, attach the video from online if you know how to do this, attach it and send it to them if you have a relationship with them or you just got the heart to ask them. So you know what, this is a good cause. My church is believing God to power for building. They bought this building. Dada, explain the story. Would you consider giving a million dollars or giving something towards this? I, I think there's something in that. The wealth of the wicked laid up for the righteous. 
You'll be surprised how many people, if you're a, billion, a billionaire, like let's say you own $10 billion, to give a million dollars, it's like giving $10. 10,000 millions. And they want to give 10% of it. Let's say they want to give 10%. That's a billion dollars. They're always giving to charity. So you ask in a way that would you consider, would you pray about giving to this? It's not for profit. They can get a DGR receipt if they're in Australia. But let's, it's believing with us. Again, if you don't have it in your heart, don't ask. Absolutely fine. Maybe there'll be two people that have the guts to ask. And maybe that one person that asks, receives. I was told, I think Lucy told me. I don't know how correct it is. Not because Lucy told me, because I know words can change. But I was told someone asked Madonna and told her that a church was believing for a building. And she gave a million dollars towards the building. Madonna. You think, Madonna? Well, you know, if that's true, you'll be surprised. Oh, one of her workers were watching. Right. So the, so the worker was watching the video. The pastor was asking for a million dollars or else we have to close, something like that. But she just gave a million dollars. But God could use anyone. God can use a donkey to speak. He can use anyone to give. <laughs> but anyway, I just, I think there's something in it. The miracles that took place, Elijah had to ask, give me the meal first. Elijah had to say to the woman, tell your, go ask your neighbours for barrels so that you pour the oil in. And they went to neighbours. I don't know about you, I don't like asking my neighbours for stuff. But ask your neighbours for barrels. And then when they had, when the barrel, when there wasn't, wasn't enough barrels left, the oil stopped pouring. Give me another one, give me another one. Oh no, there is no other one. Think about that. That oil stops flowing when we've got nothing else to give it to. There's something powerful about giving. There's power because when you give, it just keeps growing, keeps flowing. That's the kingdom principle. Don't ever be afraid to give. Serious. Don't ever be afraid to give to God when you give it in faith to God. Amen. So in our togetherness, I'm asking you fight together. Keep fighting together. We're going to see a great miracle. We're going to see many miracles. We're going to see great testimony of God's goodness. Amen. Can we pray? Father, we thank you for everything you've done, the miracle of leading us, guiding us here. You're, you're Jehovah Jireh, you're our provider. You provided everything. You've provided our breath to breathe today. Lord, you provided all our needs according to your riches and glory in heavenly places. We don't know how you're going to provide it, Lord, but we know that you will provide it because you said you would. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. You are wonderful, Jesus. You are wonderful, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just, just don't know if I should. I, now we've been in every way thinking, Lord, how, how. As I, I preach what I preach, I believe what I preach. And I'm believing for the absolute, absolute abundance. I just don't know how that's going to come in and when it's going to come in. And so it, as a faithful steward, we've been, as eldership team, thinking, Lord, what do we do? What do we, what do we have to do to close the deal? And people have given us this advice as well. Men of God, David Bless is one of them. There's a few other different men have said the same thing. Is we could... Because we've got to close this deal in four, in four weeks. Literally, you've got four and a half weeks. So some of us, if this was going to be this way for, for now, we have to think of how we're going to close it. 
And so last week we presented it to the people that stayed back that if you had funds in a bank account and earning 4.5% from the bank or 5% from the bank. Now, I, I, I trust we don't have to do this, but we have to think of a way to close it. We have to think of it. It's almost like I want to be a good steward and this is a fallback if it doesn't come through the way I expect God to come through. That's my faith. And so, um, yeah, so we, we are, as a church, are able to. We've looked at the plan and everything and we've got business plans to show you and, and that if you were considering, if you wanted to loan the church money, we could give 8% to your money for two years. And then in two years' time, we'll pay you completely back. But we'll still have the prerogative or the ability to be able to pay it down straight away. If the money came in a month after, we'd give you that money back. So it'll be the minimum of $100,000. So if you had $100,000 sitting in a bank and you're getting 4 or 5%, we could write out a solicitor's contract and everything will be fully legal and we would pay you 8% for two years because we need to close this deal. We have to close it. We can't lose $3 million of your money and our money. Does that make sense? So please hear my heart. We're still believing. We're still trusting for that miracle. But we have to know how to close the deal. If it wasn't going to our people, we would go and get the money somewhere. We should pay crazy interest. But 8% is something we can do. And therefore, it's a win for you. And it will be a win for the church. But that, if that's something you think you can do, you need to talk to your wife or your husband or someone. Uh, please talk to us. Let us know that you, you can consider it. Um, but we're believing for the full amount. That's what we've got to put our faith for. But because we've never been down this road before, saying, Lord, we're going to, we want to be faithful. We, we don't want to get at the end going, oh, we're short by this amount. Amen? It's a good thing, though, because we are seeing God break through every single... I mean, some, I mean, Christine's dad gave generously, which moves me. He's 76 years old, and he gave $35,000. Empty. I don't know what he, what he emptied. I don't know. I'm thinking, Lord. Again, it's like I felt. I felt. I said to Leon. I felt. I even said to him when I rang him. I said it feels like I'm taking the two two mites of a widow because he's 76. But I know God is the provider. And God is the provider. The God's on the move. There's people people that know us. Someone just from rang and gave a thousand dollars towards it and doesn't come to our church. She believes in what we're doing. She said she gave a thousand dollars from online, from the Facebook thing. We helped a business. Our prophetic team from school ministered to a business, gave prophetic words, and they were so accurate. She she implemented those prophetic words. This is like a number of months ago. She implemented it. Got got improvement from her business. We got a testimony. She wrote about that lady blessed us with six thousand dollars. Doesn't come to our church for the half of the house they're, they're moving it's like God you're doing something I know, I know we have done that as well as a church we've sacrificially given and we say thank you for being with us on this journey all the way do we say thank you from the bottom of our hearts as an eldership team and we're going to be on the other side of that Red Sea like the Miriam and singers and the trampoline I don't know if you know but they started worshipping and singing songs when they got through Amen Thanks for listening to the GGC Life podcast. We hope you feel encouraged. Be blessed.